Thanks, you guys. That was awesome. Really appreciate you leading us in a time of, of worship and song. We are in this teaching series on the book of Psalms we're calling Greatest Hits. And, you know, I suggested to the elders back at, I think, the beginning of December that we teach through some some of the selected psalms. And at that point, none of us had any idea what we would be in the midst of. But God is so good in the fact that that was where he guided us for a teaching plan and that we have been able to just lean into the Psalms and, and learn from, from words written thousands of years ago um, about how we can engage with God and how we can live amidst these crazy, these crazy times that we're in. You know, in the first week we talked about God has a way prepared for those who choose to follow him. And then Leanne shared with us from Psalm 139, how we can cry out to God and confidently expect him to hear those cries and, and answer and, and we learn um, from God or from God's word, how we can just look at his track record and how his track record by, by um, recognizing that and repeating that, it gives him glory and praise. And it also gives us a sense of hope and confidence. And then um, last week we talked about how God is infinitely and eternally good and we can access that goodness. And when we do that, that goodness flows from God through us to others. The, like I said, words written thousands of years ago, but never more applicable than they are right now. So we're going to, we got three more weeks in the book of Psalms. We're going to dive right in today with Psalm 100. We could go full screen with that, guys. That'd be great. This is Psalm 100. The whole thing is only five verses. A psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgivings and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So we're just going to dive right into this. And the first thing we notice about this psalm is in every verse and every line is the Lord's name, his name or a personal pronoun for who he is. This psalm is all about God, who he is, and what he does. And remember, as we look at psalms, they're poems, right? So their structure is important. Five verses, the center verse, verse three, is the crux of the psalm. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. That That's where this is. And even within that, right, we have the very center of the entire psalm, which is the word, it was one word in the original language, his people. It is all about our, we are defined by our relationship to the God of the universe. And fortunately for those of us who choose to follow him, that very next phrase, the sheep of his pasture, you guys, maybe for homework this week, you go read Psalm 23 and you meditate on it for a while and think about what it has to say. Here's the, the short version. As the sheep of his pasture, we can count on God to lead us to feed us and to protect us. Psalm 23, such great words, but as his people, that's what we can expect from him as our Lord and Savior. And then finally, so if that's who God is and we're defined by our relationship to him, then we are, we should respond and we can respond. And we're called to respond with shouts of joy, with gladness, with joyful songs, with thanksgiving, with praise, with thanks, and with praise. Those are all responses to who God is. 
And that is in large part why we define the idea of worship the way we do at Crossroads. Worship is responding to the greatness and glory of God in thought, word, and deed as individuals and as a community, regardless of our circumstances. So with that, um, with that kind of quick intro, I, am, I have asked our resident expert on worship, Ben, to come back on, and he's going to share some more thoughts with you on what it means to worship. And then as he wraps that, that up, he and I are going to have um, a very brief conversation about the last part of that phrase, regardless of our circumstances. We can and should worship regardless of our circumstances, and that's how we're going to round out our time this morning. Ben, it's all yours, buddy. Great. Thanks, Tom. Uh... Hey everyone, um, it's good to be with you guys again. <laughs> um, so uh, just a little intro about myself. Um, as you may know, uh, my name is Ben and uh, I'm the worship director here at Crossroads. Um, I was born and raised in Connecticut um, and this is a picture of me as a little child. Um, I can hear all of the, uh, yeah. Um, and right next to me is my cousin, who is 19 days older than me, uh, but is like a brother to me. Uh, I went to Boston University uh, for undergraduate studies, and I came back to Connecticut to get my degree in physical therapy from Sacred Heart. Uh, throughout my whole life, uh, I've always just had a love of music. I started uh, violin lessons when I was around four years old, uh, and I went on to learn the piano and the clarinet throughout grade school. Um, and I, I grew up in the church, but my heart started moving away from the Lord throughout middle school. Um, and, but when I reached high school, uh, and the reason why I love this picture is that it was actually this very same cousin who invited me to his youth group. Um, and I remember when I visited, I fell in love with the worship music there. Um, and that's what actually kept me coming back. Uh, it's in that youth group I finally made the decision to actually follow Christ. Uh, and I eventually taught myself how to play basic guitar chords and rhythms uh, so that I could lead worship in my senior year uh, with my cousin. Uh, over the years, no matter what season I was in, uh, the Lord has kept me close to worship that glorified him, whether that was up on stage or in the back on the soundboard or the computer as support. Um, fun fact, uh, there was actually a time that I actually didn't want anything to do with leading worship ever again uh, because I had gotten so burned out um, and I never wanted to experience that again. Um, but funny enough, the Lord gently led me into healthy places of leadership uh, with a little bit of nudging, <laughs> which has eventually led me to be here with you guys at Crossroads. Um, and it's been such a wonderful blessing and a wonderful journey so far. So I'm here today to share uh, what the Lord has taught me over the years about worship. Uh, what does it mean to truly worship God? How do we do it in a way that's pleasing to him? Um, so my first point is that we as human beings were all made to worship. God made us to worship. Um, and everyone finds something or someone to worship. Uh, so some examples uh, that I thought of uh, are we could have a spouse that we worship, money, cars, food, a band, a sports team, uh, actors or actresses. The question we have to ask ourselves is whether or not we are worshiping God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is he number one? Or is he further down the list? Is he even on the list? Uh, we have to be sure that as followers of Christ, every area of our lives reflects how Jesus has transformed and continues to transform our lives. 
And this is where I want to spend the bulk of my time today, uh, is talking about how we must worship in spirit and in truth. In the book of John, chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman at the well. And he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So what does Jesus mean? Jesus says here that God is looking for a certain kind of worshiper, true worshipers. These are people who worship God in spirit and truth. So let's start with the easier one, and that's worshiping God in truth. This one's a little easier to understand, but very important. Um, it's a question we have to really ask ourselves. Um, when we pray to God, when we sing songs about him or to him, uh, when we listen to teachings about him, are we going back to the Bible to check our facts? When we sing about him, are we singing truthful things about him? Are we believing the true and right things about the God of the Bible? We have to make sure that we aren't praying or praising something false about God. I love what the Bible tells us about the Jews in Berea. Uh, oh, yep. In Acts uh, chapter 17, verse 11, it tells us that they received Paul and Silas's message about Jesus with great eagerness, and, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. What this tells us is that they really liked what they were, but they also checked the scriptures that they had every single day in order to make sure that they were being fed the truth. So we have to do the same. We can worship God by hearing a great message, listening or singing to a great song, or even reading a really well-written theological book. But we have to make sure that we don't just get blindly wrapped up in how passionate a speaker is in delivering his or her message, or that we don't just love a song just based on the melody or how lovely someone sings, and that we don't just get excited with something in a book just because the author is a compelling writer. We have to check and make sure that what we're hearing, what we're singing, and what we're reading about God agrees with what Scripture tells us which is the bedrock of truth for us as Christians. So what does, tell us, what does scripture tell us about the importance of truth? In his teachings, Jesus tells us a parable or a teaching story about seeds being sown. Some fell on the path, some on rocky places, some among thorns, and some on good soil. We're going to focus on the seed that falls on rocky places. The seed that falls on rocky places springs up quickly but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Jesus explains that the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word or because of scripture, they quickly fall away. And we have to make sure that we stick to truth. Emotions alone can only carry us so far. So there's a little bit of a personal story on that. Uh, I remember that as a teenager, I loved going to retreats. Um, and the main reason for that was because as a fairly new believer, uh, I loved getting what we would call a spiritual high. Uh, so you would go to a retreat, you would spend time in the truth, you'd be around other like-minded teenagers and leaders, 
you would be encouraged and just loved on. And there would be times of confession and repentance, and all it would be an all-around awesome time. I would leave those retreats on cloud nine. I always felt like nothing could stop me. And uh, I always felt like I would never sin ever again. <laughs> um, and it would last a while, but slowly I would fall back into bad habits, fits of anger, and eventually guilt and shame that I hadn't stayed perfect. The reason for this is because I expected that spiritual high to carry me on forever. But I wasn't consistently feeding myself with truth. I wasn't filling my days with scripture or praying to God. So there was nothing to continue feeding that fire of God in me. And I share all this because I eventually learned that not every experience will, with God will be a mountaintop experience. Those times are so incredible. They're so amazing. And that's when it's easy to follow God. But there are also valleys that God will lead us to and through. And we need that firm foundation of truth and scripture in order to make sure that we don't get scorched like the plant that has no root in Jesus's parable. So we're going to move on to talking about worshiping God in spirit. What does that mean? Well, the word used here is the Greek word pneuma, where we get words like pneumonia, or for my other fellow medical friends, pneumothorax, nice big long word. Uh, these are both medical conditions which involve the lungs, which is fitting because in Greek it means breath or wind. In the Bible, it also refers to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the holy breath of God. In Genesis 2-7, scripture tells us, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. I want you to think of all those movies where either the hero or the villain says, well, as long as I still draw breath, um, it means as long as I'm alive. Uh, and it's our ability to breathe which gives us life. In a spiritual sense, it's God's Holy Spirit or holy breath, which gives us spiritual life. So what does this mean for our worship? Think of phrases that we use, like, that cheerleader has spirit, or my friend was in good spirits today, or while their team's spirit was really broken. We all know what those things look like, um, but in actuality, our spirit has no physical form or laughter, crying, and can even be revealed through our physical posture. Uh, but the dangerous part is that those physical expressions of our spirit can also be hidden. And many of us have learned to form a barrier around our inner spirit to protect ourselves. So on the outside, many of us look like we have it all together. We put on a smile and pretend to be okay. We tell people things are fine when really Things are just a disaster on the inside. Even worse, we try to present ourselves to the Lord with a nice shiny exterior where everything seems to be okay when in actuality our spirits are hurting, they're broken, or even wrapped up in guilt and shame. And this is an important point. Just because we say or do the right things doesn't automatically mean that our spirit or our hearts are in the right place. We can actually sing the truth, read the truth, 
intellectually agree with the truth and even proclaim the truth. But if we haven't let the Holy Spirit transform us from the inside out so that our hearts are growing towards God, then it's not acceptable to him. And I don't mean to sound harsh, but our outer expression of worship must be determined by a truth that transforms us from the inside out. A biblical example of this are the Pharisees. By Jewish law, they were seen by the people as being the most devout, most religious, most holy people around. But in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 through 28, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Likewise, when you go into the Old Testament, when you read about the kings of Israel and Judah, you actually see and read that God is always concerned about where their hearts are and if they're turned towards him and whether or not they were fully committed to him. So then worship to God has to come from the heart, from the inside, in everything we do, not just singing. We can't just say that we love God and then proceed to live a secret sinful life. Inner spiritual transformation by God's love and by his word is what glorifies him in everything we do. So then it's important to worship in both spirit and in truth. And this is where we get our big idea for today. You can agree with all the truth in the Bible and yet never actually be moved in your heart and spirit by God's love for you. On the flip side, you can have the most emotional experience, and yet without truth, your faith cannot weather the storm. So what does worshiping God in spirit and truth look like? Think of something or someone you greatly value in life. What makes you shout for joy? What gets you so excited and makes you happier than anything else? Is it money? Is it sports, technology, food? a relationship, maybe it's something else. But how much emphasis and priority are we placing on these things? How much of our time, our energy, and effort is being invested in these and possibly other areas of our lives? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, again, personally, my struggle is with food. The Holy Spirit uh, revealed a terrible and awful truth to me while we were on vacation in New Zealand. Um, I tend to get really excited about trying new food. And I'm always so happy when I get to eat. It's that hangry kind of thing. Um, I always love researching the best rated restaurants and I always want the best food that I can smell, taste, and experience, and also afford. <laughs> but God reminded me that I'll actually never be satisfied with food. If something was highly rated but didn't meet my expectations, I was disappointed. And if I finally found something 
really, truly delicious. Um, I would sadly leave that restaurant not knowing if or when I would ever return. So my emotions and my spirit were constantly being tossed around when it came to eating, and I was never satisfied. Not that I was worshiping food over God, but he showed me that I was placing way too much importance on good food. My spirit lit up when it thought about food, and I was putting food up on an altar in my heart, which was ultimately stealing my joy. He reminded me that he's the only one who will ever be able to fully satisfy my heart and soul. So I bring this up as an example of what worship of something or someone looks like. We may not call it worship in modern day language, but think about some things that we worship nowadays as a society. Where are we devoting all of our free time? Where are we trying to find joy and satisfaction? Where are we spending our money? Who or what are we giving our praises to? Jesus reminds us that the greatest commandment is to love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what pleasing worship to God looks like, a love of God which draws us into worship of him in every moment of every day, both when it's easy and joyful, but also when it's difficult and painful. And there are times where you may feel like worshiping God is the last thing you want to do. But I'm encouraging all of us to come before God anyway. He can handle our brokenness. He's looking for a genuine and honest heart. And when we choose to continue to give God the adoration, the praise, respect, honor, love, and priority in every area of our lives, he's worshiped and glorified in and through our lives. So now I'm going to ask Tom to come back on the screen. Um, I'll pull him up here. Great. Yeah, so I mean, especially in light of where we're at in our, our new reality, um, I, I wanted to spend a, a few minutes um, talking about, Ben, if you could throw the, the slide up there with us, um, a few minutes talking about that definition and that end uh, that that phrase regardless of our circumstances and and ben mentioned that god calls us to worship and when things are good and when they're not good and um i'm just here to tell you guys that i have um i've been successful and unsuccessful in trying to um respond to the greatness of god when things are when things are difficult um kind of two different ways that uh i have I don't know. I, I can be hard on myself. I use the term failed, <laughs> but um, I just uh, pitched a fit. That's a term I learned in Arkansas. I threw a tantrum, right? I mean, like, God, if this is what you're going to do or not going to do, then literally, literally, literally sitting in the seats at Crossroads, arms folded, not, not going to do it. And um, fortunately, God is gracious and forgiving and merciful and the Holy Spirit still speaks and um, I was able to to move from that place, um, but it, you know, not proud of it, but it is very much a, a reaction that I've had. Um, the other side of that is, you know, Ben used the term, uh, put on a shiny, a shiny face and that I would just try to um, kind of fake it until I made it right. Just uh, make pretend like everything was all right. 
praise God, thank you, Jesus. Like everything is is good when my world was kind of falling down around me. And neither one of those are, I think, what um, what God what God calls us to. Ben, what do you have some thoughts on on trying to worship when it's hard? Yeah. Um, so I think we can all say that we've been through hard times. Um, you know, for me, uh, there have been a lot of times, but actually I find that my greatest moments of worship, uh, have actually come from those broken places when I feel like I don't have anything left to give to God. Um, and I just stand before him and I just come before him. Um, and, um, I come before him in honesty with all of my frustration and anger um, or my sadness. Um, and I just, I pray to him and I just let him know, God, this is where I am. I know I need you, but I can't feel you. I can't see you. I don't know what you're doing here. Um, but I trust in your word that you're still faithful, um, that you still love me no matter what's going on. Um, and that's for me where the foundation of scripture is so important because when my feelings tell me that, um, everything is just wrong, um, it's the truth of scripture that actually helps to really keep me grounded. Yeah. Thanks, Ben, for for sharing that. Um, I'm gonna I want to wrap us up with this. And again, you guys. So worship is um, is responding to God. We are His people. We're defined by our relationship to Him, whatever that relationship might be. Um, when we rely on Him, we can count on Him to come through. And so we're called to respond in any and all circumstances. So that means that your act of worship might be crying out to God for help. That cry to God for help, it recognizes um, your need of God, and it recognizes God's ability and desire to meet that need. That's an act of worship. Your act of worship might be turning to the pages of Scripture because you need to be reminded of who God is and what He does. When we open up, when we open up the pages of Scripture, um, it gives God glory by saying, "Yes, we're relying on You and Your Word. We're we're trusting." in your word that knows us better than, than we know ourselves. Um, your act of worship might just be thanking and praising God for coming through in the clutch. He's done something huge. He's come through in a way that you couldn't, couldn't ask or imagine. And you just, you say thank you and you, and you sing his praises. And maybe, maybe you're in a place where your act of worship, you might just sit there and be still because the weight of the worry or the anxiety or the uncertainty is just so much that that's all that you can do. And we can, we can count on God when he says, be still and know that I am God. In those moments um, when I don't know how to respond to God and I'm not, um, I'm not sure what to do, uh, I try to put myself in a place to make myself available to him like those 12 things we pointed out last week, um, just making yourself, trying to set up your life in such a way that you are constantly opening yourself up to the flow of God's love, grace, and mercy, 
so it can come to you and then flow out of you. Um, you guys, worship is responding to the greatness and glory of God in thought, word, and deed as individuals and as a community, regardless of our circumstances. Uh, I'm going to say a quick word of prayer. And before we let everybody go, we got a few quick reminders for you. Father God, we thank you that you are worthy of all of our praise, of all of our worship, that you, we thank you that you can handle our, our cries for help, that you can handle our silence and our stillness when that's all that we can do. Uh, God, we thank you that we are defined by our relationship to you and that you want to lead us and guide us and protect us. Father, make us be the kind of people who turn to you first, who look up to you and who lean into each other and who reach out to the world around us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen.